Have you ever heard stories of poltergeists haunting houses and terrorizing the people living there? Have you heard about spiteful or calculating people engaging in malicious mischief to terrorize someone? What if you couldn't tell the difference? What if something so strange happened to you that even the authorities and paranormal enthusiasts alike had no idea how to explain it? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a gullible skeptic who tries as much as possible to use my critical thinking skills when it comes to things like ghosts and goblins, but will admit that sometimes I just have to shrug and say, in the words of my 10-year-old son, I have no absolute idea. It seems the more I learn in this life, the less I know. And at this point, I certainly don't know which is scarier, actual ghosts and goblins or human beings with bad motives. Today's story is about one or the other. I'm just not sure which. Strangers, I interrupt this broadcast for some exciting news. We are launching, ready for it, our Patreon next week. For just $5 a month, you're going to have access to three bonus episodes a month. These episodes will be about 15 to 20 minutes long, giving you more of the kind of strange and unexplained content you love, plus a little extra. First up, we're going to give you one of the most requested episode topics, sleep paralysis. We've got people waking up from comas, killer clowns, plus a lot more autobiographical content than you could ever ask for. And for just $7 a month, you'll be getting all of that plus ad-free versions of the regular episodes. Plus, we're putting together a fully produced and edited and gorgeous and hilarious video of the Strange and Unexplained live show, which we'll release exclusively to Patreon members. The first two bonus episodes come out next Thursday, August 17th, and then we'll be dropping new Patreon episodes on Mondays after that. To join Patreon, head to patreon.com slash strangeandunexplained. Minnie and Willie Winston lived the quiet life of retired grandparents in the Mosley Park neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia. The couple lived in a rented house at 1114 Fountain Drive. Mosley was a tight-knit, predominantly black working-class neighborhood. Minnie was a school teacher, and Willie worked for a company that sold movie trailers and other promotional materials for movies to theaters across the country. By 1987, the Winstons had been married for 44 years. Willie, 79, was on dialysis, which he did from home, and Minnie, 77, mostly just took care of him in their home. Their two grown daughters worked at a hospital, and their son was a burglary detective in the Atlanta Police Department. On the evening of September 8, 1987, Minnie was taking a late-night bath or shower, which she said she finished just before midnight. When she stepped out of the tub, she immediately noticed splotches of blood on the bathroom floor. Blood that hadn't been there when she got in the tub. Now, a few spots of errant blood doesn't constitute an emergency, necessarily, though with two elderly people living alone, I'm sure it gave Minnie pause. 
She called out to her husband and she went down the hall toward his bedroom, but stopped cold when she saw, according to a piece from 2020 in the online magazine Truly Adventurous, quote, the red liquid was everywhere, along the baseboard and smeared across the walls, dime and silver dollar sized droplets splattered everywhere around her. That's when a geyser of blood shot through the wooden floor, projecting out as though the home had nicked an invisible artery, further spreading and painting the hallway red. A geyser of blood shot through the wooden floor. She got to her husband's room and shook him awake, telling him, Come look at all this red stuff coming out of the floor. And somehow, despite geysers of blood shooting out of the floors of her house, she told the newspaper the Atlanta Constitution, I didn't get scared because I didn't know where it was coming from. It didn't look like blood, and it didn't smell like blood. Clearly, Minnie Winston was made of stronger stuff than I. Not knowing where red liquid shooting out of my floor is coming from, I think would be terrifying. By the time Willie got out into the hallway, the red stuff had stopped gushing. All the doors to their home were locked and the alarm was on, so they immediately figured it couldn't have been someone pulling some kind of awful prank. Not knowing what else to do, they called the police. According to former Atlanta detective Steve Cartwright's memoir, Diary in Blue, from Reporter to Cop, published in 2018, at about 1.30 a.m. on September 9th, the homicide squad was at the station celebrating a birthday when the phone rang. Sergeant Jake Turner answered it, listened, and then said, Blood's doing what? Coming out of the walls. When he hung up, Turner turned to his squad and said, An elderly couple called the fire department about blood coming out of the walls of their house. That was a Zone 1 officer on the scene. She says there's blood everywhere, but no sign of a body. And naturally, Detective Cartwright asked, How do the old folks explain it? They can't, said Jake, furrowing his eyebrows. Jumping to my feet, I said, send me, Jake. Cartwright got to the Winston house and, he wrote, Hunkering down, I saw what appeared to be a striation of dried, dark red liquid. Being a homicide detective, I'd seen plenty of blood. As far as I could tell, it was blood I was looking at. Following the trail, I walked into a small hall. The living room carpet ended, and the blood continued along the wooden floor. In the murky light, I saw great splatters and pools that looked like drying blood. The trail led into a musky-smelling bathroom, saturated floors and walls with what looked like blood. I followed the red pools into a back bedroom. If there was no one killed or injured here, this would be the most amazing thing I had ever seen. If it wasn't a hoax, I thought, reminding myself that Halloween was next month and there was a full moon out tonight. Cartwright noticed the home had two bedrooms and asked an officer at the scene if anyone else lived with the couple. She explained that it was just Minnie and Willie. They had separate bedrooms. Trouble at home, I wondered, scribbling notes into a steno pad. I mean, listen, separate bedrooms is an excellent idea for any couple. Honestly, just because you're committed to each other doesn't mean you want to hear them snoring or worrying about farting too much in your sleep, you know? 
Listen, they say the key to a happy house is a happy spouse, and at least as far as I'm concerned, never am I happier than when I've had a full night of uninterrupted sleep, knowing that no one is going to be annoyed that my clean laundry is bundled in a heap on one side of the bed. Anyway. Following the trail, it led through a breakfast room and terminated in the kitchen. At the back door was a concentrated pool and an array of splatters. Opening the locked back door, switching on that yellowish light outside, I saw more dark spots on the cement porch. This drew me into the yard. Shining my light around, I went to a sawed-off whisk broom leaning against the wall. Picking it up, I felt that the bristles were wet. Holding it close to my brown eyes, illuminating it close up with my flashlight, I detected one or two tiny specks of red. This is giving some writing 101 vibes. Friend, the color of your eyes is not important. I know your ghost writer or whatever told you to add lots of detail, but this is unnecessary. Next, Cartwright and his brown eyes went down to the basement to see if it was possible someone had squirted blood up through the floorboards from there. The padlock on the basement door was unlocked. Once in the unfinished basement, Cartwright found more blood and called in the blood guy to verify. Back in the Winston's kitchen, Cartwright checked the washing machine, knowing that that's where perpetrators sometimes like to hide their weapons. But Cartwright didn't find a weapon. What he found was a pair of women's slippers with red splotches across the toes. Was it blood? They wouldn't know until a forensic analysis was done. And if it was blood, whose blood was it? Where did it come from? And what caused it to spray like a geyser out of the skeleton of 1114 Fountain Drive? Impossible questions swirled, but in the meantime, it was time to sit down with Mr. and Mrs. Winston to see what, if anything, they could tell him. In his memoir, former detective Steve Cartwright recounted his first conversation with Minnie and Willie Winston. I should note that we don't know if he recorded this conversation, if he took incredibly copious notes during the conversation, or if he took some creative license with the quotes in retelling it. The only disclaimer he offers at the beginning of the book is this. Caution, some realistic rough street language. I mean, I would hope so. I'm not reading a cop memoir for the sunshine and lollipops, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm not reading a cop memoir at all, but you get my point. Anyway, Cartwright recalled the scene this way. Lowering my skinny frame into one of their stuffed chairs, I pleasantly introduced myself to William and Minnie. Despite there being a sofa, they both sat apart. Well, I thought old folks like these would have their favorite chair. Is it me, or does this guy seem overly concerned with where these people sleep and sit? Could you tell me how this whole thing got started? Well, said Minnie calmly, like she was telling me how she preserves peaches. What? Peaches? Ugh, this guy. Anyway, Minnie replied, I had just taken a bath, and when I was getting out of the tub, I noticed what appeared to be blood shooting out of the bathroom floor like like a fountain. Where were you at that time, sir? Mr. Winston, a twig-thin old man, answered. Well, I was sleeping in my bedroom. Mrs. Winston, can you show me how high it was shooting up out of the floor? 
Leaning over her armrest, she held her hand about an inch above the carpet. I thought maybe the blood was coming from him, so I ran to his bedroom. And when I ran into the hallway, the blood started shooting up all around me out of the floor. How is your eyesight, ma'am? It's fine. I know what I saw. Has either of you ever experienced anything like this before? I asked casually, testing whether they might be senile. Definitely not. She said, although I noted no feeling of insult from my subtle questioning of their sanity. Are either of you superstitious? No. Believe in voodoo? No. She repeated, almost as if suffering a fool. I mean, you said it, sir, not me. But Cartwright wasn't so easily convinced. I had seen a lot of blood splatters in my career. There's an entire school of science that has studied the traits of blood as it splatters. With this knowledge, a lot can be determined about the nature of the wound, the height from which it fell, and other marvelous things. From my experience, the blood, if that's what it really was, had not bubbled up like a fountain, as Mrs. Winston described it. The fluid had been flung on by something, like a whisk broom, like the one I had found, its bristles wet from possible cleansing leaning in the dark backyard. You're sure, Mrs. Winston, that the blood came up from the floor like a fountain? That was exactly what happened. Cartwright then turned his attention to Willie, who explained that by the time he got out to the hallway, the blood wasn't spurting through the floor anymore, but had settled in pools. So you yourself never saw this fluid doing anything but lying there, I reiterated, thinking a definite pattern was emerging. Dude, it's one event. It's not a pattern. Am I misreading something? Minnie saw something. She went and got her husband. He saw the aftermath of the thing. What's the pattern? Then Cartwright brought up Minnie's slippers and asked her how she thought they might have gotten the red liquid, whatever it was, on them, to which she basically replied, They were on my fucking feet when the stuff came exploding out of my floorboards. Well, not in those words exactly, but that's what I imagine her subtext was. Not wanting to sound accusatory, I said, I also saw a wet mop in the kitchen. Yeah. How did that get wet, Mrs. Winston? I had left it outside and it got rained on. How'd it get back inside the house? How did it get back in the house? Minnie answered, (laughs) Well, let me tell you, officer. Mickey Mouse snuck down to the sorcerer's cauldron while he was sleeping and did a magic spell, and the fucking mop grew legs and walked itself back in the house. Okay, again, that's not exactly what she said. I'm paraphrasing here because I am just so frustrated by this one-side account from a cop who doesn't even know that a pattern is a series of multiple things. Anyway, what she actually said, at least according to Cartwright, was... I wanted to mop up the floors, but the firemen told me not to disturb anything. Cartwright continued to question the Winstons until finally the blood guy showed up to determine if the house was indeed bleeding. While the blood guy did their thing, Cartwright convinced this had to be a hoax of which the Winstons were either the perpetrators or the victims. He went through their trash because of course he did. Convinced this house had not been visited by demons, I set about trying to find an earthly explanation. I felt like a wino looking for cans as I searched the Winston's garbage can on the street. A wino. Good lord. He didn't find anything. 
Cartwright asked the blood guy what they thought it might be. The blood guy was baffled and said it would take the lab a week. A week to get results. A week? What did they have to do in the 80s? Centrifuge it by hand? It takes Dexter about five seconds to do his blood analysis. And that guy's not even a real blood guy. He's an actor. Cartwright didn't want to wait a week, so he decided to take a sample to the blood lab at Grady Hospital. Why that wasn't the plan from the jump, if it was going to take the crime lab an entire week, I don't know. Watching as he took a syringe to suck up a specimen from a pool in the bathroom, I noticed the fluid had taken the consistency of the top layer in a can of latex paint. Real blood doesn't congeal like that, I said triumphantly. Within hours, the blood people over at Grady called Cartwright to say that what they had there was real, grade-A, actual blood, and probably of the human variety. Still, the samples had to be sent out to the crime lab if they wanted a more detailed analysis beyond, quote, probably of the human variety. But Cartwright wasn't moved. He still thought that 77- and 79-year-olds Minnie and Willie Winston were playing a prank of some kind. At the homicide office, I tickled the computer keyboard, trying in vain to find any previous hoaxes or false claims at the Winston house. There were none. By this time, it was done. Well, there's your problem right there, buddy. Tickling the computer keyboard isn't going to get you anywhere but sent to HR stat. The next day, September 10th, during a press conference, Atlanta PD Lieutenant Horace Walker confirmed that samples of, quote, copious blood were found in the Winston's home the previous night. But some members of the press already had the scoop. Apparently, when the initial call came over dispatch for someone to respond at Minnie and Willie's house, a civilian had been listening on a scanner at home and tipped off a buddy at a local news station. By the time Detective Cartwright got back to the station after sitting down with Minnie and Willie, in their separate chairs, God forbid, there was already a news crew waiting there for him to get his remarks. It's curious that no one showed up at the Winston's home at this point. One would think the media would rather go directly to the source, and to be fair, this information again comes from Cartwright's book, so I'm sensing a pattern. Also, I suppose it's possible that a crew did show up to the Winston's home and Minnie was like, not today, Bob. But considering how these kinds of media circuses usually go, like the one that quickly gathered outside the Smurl house when they claimed they had some kind of poltergeist, which I covered back in episode 12 of season 2, it's hard to understand why there weren't multiple stations camped out on their lawn within hours. At any rate, at the press conference the next day, Lieutenant Walker told reporters that investigators didn't know where the blood in the house had come from, but confirmed that it was type O, while both Mr. and Mrs. Winston had type A blood. Once Lieutenant Walker announced at the press conference that the blood was, in fact, real blood, and not only that, but not the blood of either Mr. or Mrs. Winston, Cartwright finally had to acquiesce that it appeared no crime, or therefore hoax, had been committed in the house. It was just a bunch of loose blood, after all. No body, no crime. The next order of action, of course, would be to figure out where the blood came from. 
Now, I'm no blood spatter analyst, but usually houses don't spontaneously bleed human blood. Like, rarely, if ever, do they do that. I'm pretty sure. So clearly the blood came from somewhere, and clearly someone had had a hand in getting the blood from point A to the Winston's home. So who had access to human blood that might also have some reason to dump it in the home of an unsuspecting elderly couple? And also why? To what terrible end might someone do something this macabre? According to the online magazine Truly Adventurous, an anonymous police officer allegedly told someone in the press, quote, some adults will act like children just to get attention, end quote. I mean, okay, yes, but surely you're not suggesting that these septuagenarians got their hands on human blood and sloshed it around their own home in the middle of the night just for attention, right? I mean, yes, clearly that is what you're suggesting, which is, you know, one way to look at it, I guess. Not the right way, just a way. Anyway, so where do we go from here? First, there was Willie, who was on dialysis. This was back in the day when dialysis patients could have their treatments in the comfort, convenience, and safety of their own homes. But that point was moot because the blood found on the floors and walls didn't belong to Willie. Then, there were the Winston's two daughters, who both worked at a hospital and therefore presumably had access to blood. The house had been locked, and I guess the implication was the grown children might have keys? Of course, the alarm was also on, which would have meant that at the very least it would have beeped when one of the doors had been open, even if someone had the alarm code. Neither Minnie nor Willie reported hearing the alarm. I suppose it's possible, if Minnie had the water running and Willie's dialysis machine was going, that they might not have heard it. And honestly, I don't know what the home alarm technology in the 80s was like, whether there might have been some kind of security system that could log whenever the alarm had been triggered or the code had been entered. Then again, I can't imagine that police at the time didn't consider all of this, and none of it was mentioned in the reporting that I read. Then again, the padlock to the basement door was unlocked, so someone could have gotten into the house that way. They could have been in the basement when Minnie got out of the tub and went into the hallway. Though this possibility also does not seem to have been floated in any of the reporting at the time. I don't know if it's because it was ruled out or if it's because I have such a brilliant investigative mind that I've just asked the important questions no one else ever dreamed of asking. That said, a canvas of the local blood banks revealed no missing cachet of blood, and with the HIV-AIDS crisis in full swing, blood was a precious commodity at the time, so the stores were closely guarded. While police were trying to figure out where the blood had come from and therefore who might have been responsible for getting it there, the media and paranormal enthusiasts descended on the Winston's home to see the Bleeding House, as they dubbed it. The story led every local news broadcast for days. Call-in radio shows got call after call from people offering their theories, and people were calling the homicide line demanding to know what was going on. At first, the elderly couple did grant a few interviews, including one for a local TV news station in which Minnie points out the blood on the walls in the hallway. 
There also appears to be blood on the stairway and banister leading down to the basement, where, you'll remember, the padlock was unlocked. But then, the requests and unannounced visits from the swarms of reporters became too much for the Winstons to bear. William George Rowley Jr., who called himself a parapsychologist, which I had to Google, basically it's someone who studies the paranormal. I don't get why the word psychologist is in there. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with the psychology of ghosts or even the psychology of people who believe in ghosts. From now on, as someone who has taken a great interest in naps their whole life, and who has definitely gotten their 10,000 hours, I'd like to be referred to as a snooze psychologist. Anyway, this guy, Rolly Jr., who wrote a book called Poltergeist, not connected to the movie of the same name, took it upon himself to visit the Winstons' home with a reporter without asking. They were met by the Winstons' son, who was a police officer, who told them to buzz off. That didn't stop Rolly, though. He told the reporter that he would simply keep trying to get permission to get into the house. I don't think he ever did. Another paranormal enthusiast, Kurt Rowlett, a guitarist from a band called The Tombstones, another thing I had to Google, it was apparently a swamp rock band, don't ask me, drove by the home to see for himself and found a frenzy of people on the lawn. Thankfully, he wasn't interested in invading the Winston's privacy, and according to the online magazine Truly Adventurous, he later recalled that what was truly frightening was the disparity in the way the Winston's predominantly black neighborhood was clearly denied funding for infrastructure as compared to the white neighborhoods. The kind of attention the Winstons and their home were getting, including strangers calling them day and night, would have been unwanted under any circumstances. But with Willie on dialysis and in general poor health, it was an extra nuisance, at least according to Truly Adventurous. To be fair, I don't know where the author of that piece got their information because they don't cite sources, but the piece quotes Minnie saying... People are coming out here to see it and troubling us. I hadn't had any sleep today, and I probably won't get any tonight. I still don't know where the blood came from, and I'm tired of all these people asking me all these questions. If anyone comes here today, I'm not going to answer my door. The phone rang all night, people asking me questions. I'm fed up with all this. Willie, on the other hand, didn't seem to mind too much, probably because he was mostly in his room and didn't have to be the one to answer the door at all hours. And it wasn't just Minnie and Willie being hounded by unwanted attention. Over on his end of town, Detective Cartwright claims his phone was also blowing up with requests for interviews, book deals, and a friend who'd moved to Saudi Arabia, telling him the Bleeding House story had made it to the front page all the way over there, too. For the record, the crack team over here at the podcast couldn't find any evidence of this front page story in Saudi Arabia from 1987. Also, once again, it's hard to understand why Minnie and Willie weren't being offered book deals. Why would you offer the guy who spent an hour in the house a book deal, but not the couple who lived in the house for 22 years? Listen, I'm just saying, Cartwright seems to be a bit hyperbolic and self-aggrandizing, and again, bad at identifying patterns. Eventually, with a lack of any evidence of an actual crime, or for that matter, even a hoax, interest in the case dried up. 
Swamp rock legend, the tombstone guitarist Kurt Rowlett, however, had decided he was done respecting the Winston's privacy and called them up once things had quieted down a little. Minnie, who was done with the whole affair, brushed him off by telling him it had just been rust and mud. This is like when I asked my grandmother how old she was, and she told me she was 49, and I pointed out that there was no way she was 49 because my mom was 44, and she just said, I'm 49 and don't ask me again. Like, bro, we all know that's not true, but I guess if you say it emphatically enough, you'll shut the conversation down. But as we know, the red liquid had been tested and verified to be human blood. And both Minnie and Rowlett knew that, but Minnie effectively was like, I'm 49 and don't ask me again. And Rowlett was basically me at eight years old, knowing better than to push it, but in his head going, if you say so, lady. According to the truly adventurous piece, Rowlett asked her if there had ever been any other supernatural events, and Minnie changed the subject, and who knows what that means, but I'm willing to bet it meant she said something like, Sir, I don't know who you are. I don't know what Swamp Rock is, and I'd really like to go to bed. Willie repeated the story about the red liquid having been rust and dirt when reporters called later that month. Clearly, the Winstons were done with the whole affair. However the blood got into their house, it hadn't happened since, and they had moved on. Some representatives of Georgia Skeptics, an organization devoted to debunking so-called paranormal events in order to promote critical thinking and scientific inquiry, interviewed Lieutenant Walker and reviewed the case file. According to their investigation, quote, Lieutenant Walker definitely did not subscribe to the poltergeist theory. It was his professional opinion that someone had deliberately splattered the blood around the house as a hoax, end quote. According to Walker, there were problems between the elder Winstons and their adult children, which would have given either side a motive for the hoax. One theory was that one or more of the Walker's adult children perpetrated the hoax in order to have their parents deemed mentally incompetent for financial reasons, basically to gain access to their money. Another was that Minnie and Willie perpetrated the hoax against themselves in order to get more attention from their children. One theory that I haven't seen floated at all, and apparently just lives in my own head, is that maybe it was an angry landlord who wanted the Winstons out, but had zero cause to evict them. I mean, it's gross and disgusting, but then again, so are landlords. Eventually, police dropped the case altogether, stating that they didn't want to cause further embarrassment to the family. Clearly, Minnie and Willie weren't anxious to keep drawing it out. Willie died just two years later in 1989. Minnie, it seems, survived another 26 years, dying in 2015 at the age of 104. I say it seems because we're not 100% sure it's the same Minnie Winston, but the dates line up and all indications say that it was her. Personally, I wish we knew more about her life for the 26 years after her husband of 46 years died. Hopefully she outlived interest in this one bizarre event in 1987. Hopefully the Swamp Rock guy left her alone after she shut him down. Hopefully the rumors about her problems in the family were just that. Rumors. It would be awful to think her kids were trying to get her deemed mentally unfit and she had to live another two and a half decades, not only with that knowledge, but with that fear. But if it wasn't one of her kids, who the hell was it? 
and how the hell did they get all that blood? I will conclude with this. To me, the blood on the stairs and the banister leading to the basement is pretty good evidence that someone went into the Winston's basement and intentionally spurted blood up through either cracks in the floorboards or vents on the floor. Who it was or for what purpose, I have no idea. I can't imagine what someone thought this prank might do. Apparently nothing else sinister ever happened in the house or to Willie and Minnie ever again. No one followed up with any kind of threatening letter or phone call. There were no other reports of paranormal disturbances. It would appear that the Winstons lived out the rest of their years in the bleeding house without incident. Maybe, strangers, someday someone will come forward and confess to the prank that disrupted the Winstons' lives. Short of that, we may never know the truth and may never discover whether the perpetrator of the incident was a living person with an agenda or a bizarre one-hit wonder poltergeist. But that is why this story, like so many others, is strange and unexplained. Next time on Strange and Unexplained. If one were to believe popular media, one might believe that young white women are the number one victims of assault and murder in this country, and our neighbor to the north, Canada. When the truth is that indigenous women and girls are far more likely to experience violence, and yet often their stories go unreported. The tragic story of Alberta Williams is, unfortunately, one of so many of these women who lost their lives way too early. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network and is produced by Natalie Grillo and Angela Palladino. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, researched by Jess McKillop, edited by Eve Kerrigan, and sound engineered and mixed by Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Ryan Garcia, Crystal Simmons, and Marquise Vilson. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have a story for something you'd like us to cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, head over to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. If you like our show, please do help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a glowing review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you don't like the show, feel free to give a one-star and a scathing review. The name of the podcast is How Many Lies Can I Tell in One Hour with Alex Jones. <laughs>